As agriculture teachers, I think we often find ourselves at the beginning of the school year looking through our students' IEPs. And oftentimes, I don't know about you guys, but I will have upwards of 20, if not more, IEPs to look at. It can be really overwhelming. So on today's episode, I talked with Becky Haddad uh, about how how we can manage that how can we support our our students in the classroom who are maybe needing accommodations modifications that sort of thing and this is a special um series that you'll be listening to Becky and I chatted for almost 2 hours so I'll be breaking this up into 3 different segments for the next 3 weeks so this is part 1 i can't wait for you guys to give it a listen Hey friends, this is Hannah Wedger, an agriculture teacher in St. Paul, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, and I'm here to talk all things agriculture education related, curriculum, classroom management, FFA, career development events, SAEs, and whatever else you want to hear about. It's basically me sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with all of you. So let's dig in. Hey friends, I am here today with Becky Haddad, um, and she is an instructor out at Oregon State University. I know her from when she was in Minnesota teaching, um, and so just so you guys know a background on this, we have put a lot of time in getting connected up <laughs> issues, so this is a couple hours coming. Um, I'm <laughs> So um, I'm excited to have you on. How about you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit, Becky? Um, I'm really excited we were able to connect to Hannah. Thanks for inviting me. This is really exciting. It's always, um, it's always really exciting to connect back home, um, to hear the accents that I get teased for. <laughs> our, uh, short E or our sounding A's um, <laughs> and kind of drag out the O's a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I'm Becky Haddad. I'm currently an instructor out at Oregon State University working on my PhD in agricultural education focused in teacher preparation. Um, I grew up on a small dairy farm in southern Wisconsin and kind of came to Ag Ed um, a little bit roundabout. My high school didn't have Ag Ed and FFA, so I didn't really know that it was, I didn't know that it was a thing. Um, but through showing through 4-H, I got connected with some, um, some mentors and some people who said, hey, this is something you should really think about. And really, until that, I I was thinking about being an English or history teacher. Um, and when I went home and told my dad that somebody had kind of put this bug in my ear, he said, oh, good. Um, you were going to be so bored teaching those other subjects. You would you'd love <laughs> uh, So <laughs> I went to the University of Wisconsin-Platteville for my undergrad and then followed my husband to Minnesota to teach at Glencoe Silver Lake. Um, while I was there, I did my master's degree with the distance ed program at North Dakota State University. And then I've been out in Oregon for going on three years now, and it's been quite the adventure. So that's, I guess, a little bit about me. That is fabulous. And um, so I am just a little bit curious. What are the differences between Minnesota and Oregon? The trees are a lot taller here. Um, <laughs> and when I say that, it's, it's all really relative. We went down to Redwood National Park last weekend. And... Um, <laughs> really tall down there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
somebody told me before I came out here that I was going to love Oregon because it was all the weather that we love in the Midwest, but all year long. Sure. And, and that's pretty accurate. We're in the Valley. So, um, basically it's six months of summer and then six months of kind of the rainy part of fall. Mm-hmm. There's maybe a week that it gets cold and maybe snows a little bit. Um, I was laughing with a couple people my first year out here. It snowed, I think, the first snowfall was on February 27th or something like that. Oh, yeah, that's way different than us. <laughs> yeah, and it was like an inch. Um, <laughs> last winter, like, stuff shut down when we got an inch of slush. And, it. I mean, I'm super annoyed because it was obviously drivable. Yeah, um, like, this is no big deal. I grew up in Wisconsin. I lived in Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think otherwise, the the other big difference or the big thing I miss um, are brats and beer. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, they've got, you know, the pretty standard Johnsonville in the store, but they don't have, like, we were really used to our deli counter at Cub. Like, they had all kinds of brats that they made in the store and yeah. you had things like that. And so in the grocery store here, it's a lot more seafood. Um, oh, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> which, yeah, which makes sense, but it's, so, so that's different. We kind of miss brats. Um, and it's a lot of IPAs out here. With, so oh, I'm sure. missing my, my ales and my wheat ale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> makes me, you know, you can form whatever opinions you want, I guess, about the fact that I'm here. Yeah. People will probably judge me, but I don't really like beer. I'm more like a hard cider person too, so... <laughs> I've, I've been doing really so much more of that out here because I just can't do the IPAs. Like, yeah. <laughs> learning to love the hard ciders. Yeah. No, yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoy doing this podcast because I have learned so much just about the different states. And I feel like I've lived under a rock my whole life because I just don't <laughs> like... It's, so, it's like I have been questioning myself for the past six months month of like, oh, do they have that in Texas? Do they do that there? And even like within FFA, like the cotton CD, I did not know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, I feel like even going to different states in the Midwest, the differences between like Wisconsin Agad and Minnesota Agad, like, yeah, not, well, it's not necessarily different different crops or different livestock, like state to state, it's a little bit crazy how different ag ed looks around the U.S. Yeah, it really does. I was talking to an ag teacher in Minnesota and we were talking about going down to the um, Iowa State Fair to see what the FFA kiddos did there versus mm -hmm. what they do in Minnesota, just trying to get ideas and stuff like that. Um, because she had heard that it was quite different than what we do in Minnesota, so. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, that's one to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should probably, I mean, I'm, this is all very interesting. Um, I had talked to you um, when I connected up with you and was like, hey, you want to be on my podcast? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> and it, you had all these awesome things. And then you're like, let's talk about all of them. And I was like, this is perfect. Um, <laughs> so one of the first things that you um, mentioned was how to really kind of infuse um, and support those special education stu students within the egg classroom. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but I know, I think it was maybe your last year in Minnesota, um, you did a workshop about this topic. Yeah, yeah. Provided like a, 
kind of fill in the the blank for your your sped students right mm -hmm. yeah so i picked that up and i used it and i kind of tweaked <gasps> it for my kiddos at highland then a special our special ed coordinator saw that i had it and she was like oh my gosh where did you get that and i'm like this person is in a good she made it all up isn't it great <laughs> and so then she was like oh my gosh there's so many teachers here that need to use it so i was like well okay i guess i can share it and so yeah. we kind of tweet like we got together as a school and tweaked it but we literally started with your model and now i don't know it was 68 teachers within highland park high school are using it <laughs> That's really exciting. I do have to correct you a little bit because it's not actually mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I was really fortunate while I was at Glencoe to work with a really awesome SPED department. Um, and actually the first year I was teaching, live we lived across the alley from each other. So oh, fun. <laughs> it was it was one of, she has she has a sister with autism. Um, I have an uncle with Down syndrome. And so when we were kind of kind of just chatting across the alley, those things just kind of connected. Sure. We spent the first, our first year of teaching at Glencoe, like they were remodeling their house. So we were painting walls and talking sped and like just kind of connecting on these different things and how these things look and what this, how this um, might look different in the ag room versus in other classrooms um, and what other classrooms are doing. Um, and so she had put that together our third or fourth year teaching. Okay. Started disseminating that out to, to our teachers and said, hey, like this is, this is something we got to get out more broadly. This is something that other people can use. And so it was really kind of the basis when we started putting that workshop together for um, MAAE a couple of years ago to kind of start with, you know, how do we, how do we package this so that one, we understand what accommodations and modifications are, but then we have a way to say like, okay, who gets what accommodations and modifications and, you know, make it loose enough that people can kind of adapt it and get what they need out of it, hopefully. Okay, that is so awesome. I love the backstory to that too. So whoever that person is, you need to let them know that I really appreciate it and so does the whole staff at Highland Park. <laughs> I will definitely let her know. Her name is Sam Young. Um, she'll actually be starting a new position this um, this coming school year. So um, yeah, but I will definitely let her know. She'll be really excited to hear that. <laughs> so um for those of you obviously who haven't seen it, um, basically the, it, it's like a, a table or a chart. And so you can fill in students' names um, and then you can fill in what accommodations or modifications they need. The cool thing is at the very bottom of this chart, it says what are, like gives examples of what are modifications and what are accommodations, which was like mind blowing to me because <laughs> You don't like, I just never thought, I, I never like had concrete examples of what they are. Like you just get the IEP and be on your merry way. Um, yeah. Do you talk a little bit about that process and like how you guys put that together? So again, that was all, Sam, Sam definitely brings the SPED expertise um, to our team. We're like, when we, we're still kind of partnering to put workshops together and kind of put stuff together because it's something we're really passionate about. Um, I do want to be pretty clear before we kind of dive into this that I'm not an expert in SPED. A lot of my, a lot of my experience is, I mean, it's, you know, it's the school of hard knocks, like, and yeah. with other people, um, and learning from our SPED department. So I, I do want to kind of add that, like, it's, this isn't necessarily my stuff. Um, 
that is something that's really, I think, important as we go through, because you kind of touched on this. We, I think when we're, we go through our teacher prep programs, this idea of SPED students kind of gets romanticized. And we yeah. get this cute idea that, you know, we're going to have these sweet SPED kids and they're going to buy all these sweet kids with Down syndrome that make us all so happy and just are so helpful and do all these great things for our classes. And, and we have those students, but I, I don't know that really until I was in the classroom, I had the reality. I mean, a little bit, I think I worked at a camp for people with disabilities. And so that reality check of this is, this is hard work <laughs> kind of came from there a little bit more, but this, this, this idea that it it's going to be hard and it's you have students who are going to thrash your room and who are not going to want to do anything and who are going to just shut down and not talk to you and who are going to be really excited to weld but are terrified of fire or who you know really want to do this but don't maybe have the motor skills to be able to do it um and it looks it looks different in the ag room because a lot of times we say a lot of times what we hear is that there are all these modifications and accommodations for for written or for written work. Yeah, we think mm -hmm. homework, and we think about tests, and we think about um, even lab write-ups. But we don't think about how do students, how are some students going to do the actual lab? You know, how is that student with a sensory impairment going to engage with somewhere that's really bright all the time, or yeah. engage with where you're getting dirty, or you're you're doing these things that you have to think about you have to think about your task a little bit differently because you're engaging students differently in that ag setting. And so kind of thinking about those accommodations and modifications and recognizing, you know, it's not just what happens pencil and paper and recognizing that those things are valuable, those things are helpful. But if you're doing a project-based class, what things do we need to kind of consider about how our students approach, approach even the materials that they're going to be learning with? So. Absolutely. And I just, you know this as well as I do, and I think probably most of the listeners do, but our classroom oftentimes has a large group of special education students within that class. Um, and oftentimes, like, they just find an interest maybe in, like, small animal care. They can relate really well. And other times, it's, you know, they were not able to you know, be in a core subject class, but they need to be somewhere. And so they find themselves in our rooms. Um, and so I've honest, quite honestly, before I kind of grabbed onto your method um, and your coworkers method, I was feeling so overwhelmed with having 15, 20 students who have IEPs within one class period. Yeah. To figure out who needs modifications for what and what kind of accommodations should I make for this test or whatever else. Um. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're not alone in that. I think it is, it is really overwhelming and you, you kind of, you don't like to say it because it kind of hurt, like, I don't know, it hurts me a little bit to say it, but you hear about ag ed being kind of a dumping ground. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's a little bit incumbent on us to change that language a little bit because I think AGED is uniquely positioned to be able to serve some some of our students who approach learning differently. Um, but that also, I mean, it's it's a lot for an ag teacher who doesn't have a really strong partnership with their SPED department because you are managing a lot. And so some of some in addition to the chart, one of the things we talked about, or one of the things that. Sam kind of helped us with was kind of how do you manage, you know, all the different things that students get. And it's not that every student needs a different one, right? Mm -hmm. 
we had one of her things was having a leveled test. And so you have your, you know, if you're giving tests, you know, you have that test that everybody takes and this is, this is what I expect of everybody. And then you have a level one test and the low, or sorry, that's the level one test. And the level two test is essentially, it's, it's the same content. They're expected to know the same things, but they're not expected to demonstrate it the same way. So maybe they have fewer options on the multiple choice. Maybe sure. the true false is a different format because true false is, I hate true false. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they're always tricky. I feel like students always think they're tricky. You're like, the yeah, <laughs> you know, <I> agree. <laughs> maybe the essays are a little bit shorter, um, but they're still expected to demonstrate the same knowledge. And then that level three test, they're not necessarily expected to demonstrate the same knowledge. So rather than asking them to both define something and apply that definition to a concept, we're only asked, we give them the definition definition and then ask them to answer a question based on that definition or maybe we just ask them the definition um, depending on that student's needs and where they're at um, and I think that's that's all well and good when you've got paper pencil tests or worksheets that students are doing um, but when you think about you know, how do you how do you tier that assignment for welding yeah. or how do you for food science <laughs> and I think I think one of the things that that I really try to keep in mind is that it's it's making sure that that student doesn't feel like they're getting they're not getting something special. So you're not handing them this test on yellow paper when everyone else is getting a white test. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and you're not having this group of students who's doing a completely different lab. It's how do you how do you group students creatively? How do you um, how do you how do you structure your labs and how do you think about where materials are and how you have things set up so that everybody can be successful. So if it's going to take somebody a little longer, do you have stuff pre-measured or do you have a TA that pre-measures stuff? Um, or if you know somebody's going to have trouble with the part, the piece where they're measuring and weighing and then putting something together, how can you do that? And I think welding the the challenges, you know, how many do you have them, how many welds do you have them do or what level of quality is okay for what that student can do. And so there's there's no, I don't think there's any hard and fast. It's knowing your students and it's knowing like what, what can we reasonably expect? Um, and what does, what does this grade mean for this student, which can be, which means having a real conversation with your SPED coordinators and your students and your parents and going to those IEP meetings, which, which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Considering you may have 15 in each of six classes, like it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a hard part. And you had mentioned a little bit earlier when you're chatting, like just trying to have a strong relationship with that SPED department um, or with the people who are supporting those students in the class. I always find if I can really make a connection with the paras who are in the class supporting the students, that that really makes a huge difference. Um, Absolutely. Like I have had an amazing para in the class who has, you know, really been like a teammate in trying to provide support in, um, in, in some senses knows the student better than I even do because that person is with the student most of the day. Um, exactly. So, you know, I know that we're, you're not supposed to rely on Paris to make content and stuff, but having conversations about like, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about this modification to this, you know, whatever it might be. 
um, I think is really important and really helpful. And those same conversations happen with our um, special ed teachers too, so. Absolutely. Um, I do, I should have said this like 15 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> If we defined accommodation and modification. For yeah, we should. Listening. <laughs> so just real quick for those who are kind of going, what? Okay, this is all well and good. What are you talking about? Uh, I, the, I, I. <laughs> the accommodation piece is looking at, it, it could potentially be something that all students use. Um, but it's how do we level the playing field for our students and make it so they can still all play the same game. Um, so we don't change what they're expected what they're expected to learn. We just may change how they may show that learning a little bit. Um, but again, still playing the same game. Um, with modifications, we're looking at a little that like actually changing the rules of the game, um, changing what students are actually expected to learn. And so again, those accommodations could potentially be for any of your students. You know, we we can accommodate students in a lot of different ways. I think the, uh, we often call this differentiated learning. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, accommodations yeah. oftentimes are like best, oftentimes best practices within your classroom. So like some of the examples yeah. that you have are like posting notes and examples or providing visual aids. All of those are things that, like you said, are not, you know, might be used for all of the students within your classroom. Yeah. Um, uh, modifications, some of the examples that you have are like reducing the number of questions, um, simplifying the vocab vocabulary or the text. Um, sometimes it's that like pass or fail grade. Um, so like you said, I think that's a great, I've never heard it explained like that either. So <laughs> changing the rules <laughs> of the game um, is, that's a great way to explain it. It's, I mean, and that's also Sam's verbiage. I mean, it's, <laughs> the, difference, but it's the difference between playing baseball and playing t-ball. Sure. Yeah. In a lot of ways, or I mean, even maybe little league and t-ball, they should maybe be a little closer than like major leagues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> reasonable expectations here, but yeah. yeah. Anything else that you want to talk about for special ed? I know um, some other. We have also modified this chart, and I am. If you're okay with it, I'm going to put it up on online so people can see what it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. We've modified it also to be able to provide supports for our EL students. Oh, uh, awesome. Students who, again, are gonna need modifications or accommodations, but in different ways and more so related to language acquisition. Right. Um, and so that is another way that, um, that we've kind of used that and it's been really successful, so. That's awesome. You'll also notice when Hannah posts the chart, like there's, you, can extend the chart like there's no you don't have to keep it to you know 10 or 15 students so really anybody who may who this specific item may help you know plug those things in as you learn about your students and you know kind of kind of keep monitoring your students have that conversation with your students um i think i had you know i had a couple students who weren't on ieps or 504s that i said hey i noticed you were struggling with this what is it that you're struggling with on this test and well, there's just, there's just a lot of answers. Or I just, I get really worn out partway through or, okay, well, you know, I have, I have a different test. I can, like, if that's the problem, it's not that you don't know this, like, I can give you a different test that doesn't hurt me any. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that's a really good point to to bring in too that sometimes students may not have an IEP or a 504 or whatever else, but they may still need support or um, differentiated learning or whatever it might be within the classroom. And I think that's just really best practice as well. Hello. This is the part of the podcast where I ask you guys, the listeners, for um, support. So if you like this podcast, you like what I'm doing, you like the content I am covering, um, as always, please send me an email and let me know because that's super helpful. But you can also support the podcast by going to, um, if you go to the Anchor website on your laptop or desktop or whatever else and you search egg with miss wedger there is a button that says support this podcast um and so you can pick a amount that you would like to donate um or you would like to allocate to the podcast and that just supports um honestly the time that i put into the podcast so I spend a lot of time recording. I spend time going through and making sure that there's no like weird microphone issues or whatever else. Um, and then I spend time setting everything up, getting questions, all that good stuff. Uh, so if you like the podcast, I would love, love, love your support. If you're not there yet, that's totally fine too. I understand that 100% completely. Um, but go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Um, the, let me know what you want to hear. Um, if you want to be a guest yourself, all that stuff is great. So thank you. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. You just finished listening to Egg with Miss Wedger, where I'm sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with each of you. I hope you enjoyed listening and learned a little bit more about our topic for today. Visit my Instagram at Mrs. Wedger to follow along on my daily journey as an agriculture teacher, a wife, and a mama at two. If you have any questions or ideas on topics you want me to dig in and cover, or if you, yeah you, want to be a guest, you can send me an email at eggwithmisswedger at gmail.com. I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye bye everybody.